Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome to episode 32 of a Strange Thing podcast. I'm Austin. I'm Mike, and, and we, we are, are coming to you from the Strange Zone. <laughs> that was dumb. It was dumb. It's always dumb, but it's cool. Okay, so what are we talking about, Austin? We are going to talk about gods. We're going to talk about gods. We're gonna, this is going to be our last episode on gods, at least in this series. Um, we're going to try to wrap it up because, you know, I mean, five episodes on strange gods is is enough. It's like four too many. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> that. But it's been really interesting for me. I mean, I've never really looked at this topic before. I've known about it because you know about like different gods that are in different cultures. But I've never looked at it in the sense that the sheer volume of gods that show up in all these societies and cultures through time is just so massive. Right. It's crazy. And, you know, me coming from a very strict Judeo-Christian kind of background where there's monotheism and one God, thinking about this huge world, plethora of pantheons through time, plethora. it's crazy. These gods, well, all gods, if you think about it, are actually very strange. Yeah. And that doesn't mean bad. It doesn't connotate bad. It just means that they're strange. There's something different about them. There's something that's outside of the normal. Right. And we kick this whole thing off. Yeah. Paranormal. (laughs) And we kick things off talking about strange gods in the movie series, The American Gods. Mm -hmm. And how that was, you know, it was based on a book and all this stuff. You know, the more I get into all of these different pantheons the more I realize they are very similar to the storylines and context of that television series right? called American Gods. So like some of these gods that we've touched on in all these different pantheons Mm -hmm. show up in this movie series in one way or another. Yeah. And what's weird about, about gods in general, okay, you think about what they are. They are our attempt to explain things about life. To some people. Yeah. And, and about, you know, the forces of nature. There are a way of kind of grappling with, you know, our existence in life. Right. And, and trying to explain things, you know, explain the unexplainable, things that are beyond our ability to explain as humans. And, uh, you know, that's basically what all the gods of all the pantheons are about. Right. And, and, you know, what? one thing that kind of comes through all the way down through this entire, you know, series that we've done is that people feel like they must do certain things to appease gods in order to be blessed. Like sacrifices or dances or... Yeah, sacrifices, dances ritual. or acknowledgement or prayers or, you know, you name it. Right. There are, you know, hundreds of ways, depending on the pantheon and depending on the society... Of things that you must do to appease the gods so that you can be blessed. Right. And, you know, that's kind of what we do in life now. You know, sometimes we call it things like karma. Yep. You know, if I go out and do bad things, karma is going to come back and get me. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go out and I help people and I'm a good person, then good things should happen to me. Oh, yes. You know, but it's really weird. Is That's not really true. Doesn't happen. No. Sometimes the nicest people have the worst crap that happens to them. Yep. 
It's true. I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, you know, I just know people in my life that I think are really good people, and they've had some of the hardest times. Right. The worst things happen to them. Or maybe they're just bad people, but they're really good at disguising it. Well, the people I know are really good people. How do you know they weren't like a secret murderer? Well, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) the people I'm thinking about aren't those kind of people. You know, and if they are, well, then maybe they deserve the bad karma that comes their way. Yeah. But the people that I talk about are things like little kids Mm. that have never done anything to be good or bad, and they suffer the worst. You know, things of families that love somebody so much and then bad things happen to them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes the pursuit of a deity doesn't answer these things in life. Right. I just got to clarify, I was just playing that devil's advocate. I know. I knew what you meant. You were just being a little devil. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how the devil laughs. Yeah, but anyway, I don't want to go too far down this uh, rabbit trail of, you know, the whole God thing. (laughs) (laughs) That too. But I do want to talk about it because there are a lot of people I think that are going to be listening that maybe have a a faith system and maybe some don't. And um, we're not trying to lobby for any kind of belief system. That's one thing this podcast and this episode and this series in general is not trying to do. We're just like throwing this stuff out there so people can see this through history Mm -hmm. and, you know, take from it what you will. I, I believe there are things you can take from it that may lead you in your decision of whether to believe in some deity or not to believe in some deity. But that's not the purpose. The purpose that we've been throwing out there is just to show what's out there. And tonight, what I'd like to do, because we've talked about all these different pantheons, you know, that, you know, Greek and Roman and Mayan and all of those. I'd like to go back to the beginning. I'd like to go back to the earliest known pantheons that there are. Way back. Yeah. Now, there might have been earlier ones, but they weren't recorded. They weren't written down in history. Gotcha. Because, you know, before writing, it was all oral tradition. Right. But starting in like 4,000 BC, you know, 6,000 years ago. Oral tradition being like stories told to younger generations and then told to their generations below them and then... Yeah, passed from generation to generation by stories. Before the consistency of writing where you can just write it once and then everybody can look Mm -hmm. at it from then on. Right. And so the the earliest form of writing, you know, that we know of starts as cuneiform. Cuneiform. Yep. And that happens in, guess where? Persia. (laughs) Nope. Pennsylvania. Nope. It, it happens in a famous place called the Cradle of Civilization. Oh, yes. The Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent, also known as... That place in Indiana Jones where the knight lives and he drinks the stuff <laughs> and he says, He chose poorly. Poorly, yes. <laughs> no, it happens in Mesopotamia. Mm. So in ancient Mesopotamia, you have all kinds of people. Um, in, in this time frame, we're talking about 4000 B.C., there were what you would call city-states. I mean, before that, people were, you know... Nomadic. Nomadic, and, you know, they were hunters and gatherers, basically. Mm -hmm. Savages. Yeah, and somewhere around there, they started to, you know, plant crops and understand that, hey, maybe we'd be better together than all of us individually out running around with our clubs and trying to get animals and that kind of stuff. That sounds way more fun, though. It does kind of in short stints. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so they started gathering in these settlements in city-states, which were basically a city, a group of people that got together, and together they kind of coexisted and helped each other get along. 
So that was all fine. But somewhere around there, around 4000 BC, they decided, hey, we've got to have a way to communicate things. Makes sense. And so they developed a writing system called cuneiform. And basically that was them inscribing symbols that were very pictorial Mm -hmm. into clay tablets. And that would be like a written message. Okay. Now it wasn't probably, it wasn't phonetic. It wasn't like they made sounds that sounded like, yeah. you know, your It was your emoticon type thing. Yeah. They were bath- basically? They, they were basically, they were basically emojis. Emojis? <laughs> they were basically <laughs> emojis, but it was conceptual. It wasn't phonetic. It wasn't like it brought a sound to your mind that made sense. It actually brought a symbol. A symbol, yeah. Yeah. So. Which- like maybe Chinese kind of is like that where yeah, I think the symbol uh-huh. is usually like an entire maybe word or mm-hmm. even like a train of thought. Or right. I don't know. Well, I don't speak it's, Chinese it's, anymore. It's very similar to, uh, you know, Japanese kanji. It's the same kind of thing. It's a symbol based language, right? Mm. So way back then, 4000 BC, writing started. And from those very earliest writings, we have our very earliest recording of deities and gods. And that's where I want to go. I want to go way, 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 way back. Look away back. To the, you know, the cradle of civilization and start there in ancient Mesopotamia with the Sumerians. Okay. Because the Sumerians were the first ones that came together and they started talking about their gods. And the gods from that time, you know, interestingly enough, were sufficient to carry in different ways. We talked about syncretism. And so Mm -hmm. that happened, but basically for 2,000 years, starting in about, you know, the, well, 4,000 BC, generally, to 2,000 BC, the gods were the same, you know, they had different names, but they were the same pantheon. So if you're talking about the ancient Mesopotamian pantheon, you got to start with the Sumerians. Okay. Or in ancient Sumer. Sumer. Yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar with the geography of... Mesopotamia and that region, but really we're talking about the land between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. Okay, so it's lots of sandals. Right? <laughs> well, what it is, it's a it's a fertile plain, right? The fertile mm-hmm. crescent. It's a fertile plain that often floods. It was very chaotic, but had very fertile soil. Fertile. Fertile soil. So you were able to grow crops there, right? So people would naturally go there because they could eat. They would, you know, there was plentiful grains and vegetation. The land of milk and honey. And if you had vegetation, then you had lots of animals going to eat and to vegetation. So you had animals, so you could get your protein too. Nice. Yeah. Love me some protein. Right. So we're going to start with the city-states started congregating in the ancient land of Sumer. And they started a pantheon. Maybe it didn't start there. Maybe it existed earlier in oral tradition. But anyway, the pantheon, when they started writing, consisted of a triad of gods or a triad of deities. A triad, kind of like the Trinity, like the Christian father, son. (laughs) Well, you know, other than the name, other than there being three gods that made up the triad of the ancient Mesopotamians, the difference is in the Christian idea of the Trinity, um, it is one God. It's monotheistic who has three different personages in the Godhead. So, I mean, it's different. We're not going to go there right now. That's a whole different, you know, diatribe. But 
The three gods that formed the triad of ancient Mesopotamia were On, On, Enlil, Enlil, and Enki. Enki, yeah. the ghost from Pepe. those were the those were the top three gods. Those are the okay. ones that kind of are the triad of gods. That I mean, for two thousand, three thousand years, these are the main three gods. The head honchos. The head honchos. The quartet. Yeah, and of the three. <laughs> and of the three, An is the major god. He's the superior god. He's the god of the universe. Mm. He is the one that controls everything. Um, he is known the Zeus goose. Yeah, he is known as the god of heavens. Okay. So, so oh, yeah, basically, if you want to think about the triad, you can think of three gods as the three planes. You can think of the heavens. You can think of the sky, and you can think of the earth. Right. Mm-hmm. So An is the king god of the heavens. So, I mean, if you were going to compare him to the Judeo-Christian god, he is like that god, um, Yahweh, Mm -hmm. for the Hebrews, although not as powerful. But An and his wife, her name was Ki. Okay. Um, I guess they also called her Ninma Antu Aruru. My dog says that. Aruru? When he's excited, but he can't bark, he'll go... Yeah, yeah, he's calling out to the mother goddess, but uh, yeah, or mama. I mean, they all kind of run together, but those two are the primordial gods. They're the gods that were the first ones, Mm. and one Adam and Eve of gods. Yeah, so you have on and you have on two, and that's like the feminine form and the masculine form. But anyway, it's a big, it's a big convoluted mess. But um, it comes down to the fact that those two gods are the gods. From which all other gods came from. Patient zero gods. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yep. Got it. So God, the it. sons of God, the sons of An, were Enlil, Inki, and a bunch of other gods. Okay. So An is the, yeah, I'm thinking of him as the highest spiritual leader of the universe. Right? Okay. So An had a wife or a consort named Ki. She is known as the goddess of the earth and the mother goddess of all. Um, she's the goddess of life, fertility, and growth, and a special fondness towards, you know, the women who are pregnant and the care of women and children. So she would be kind of like maybe Sif, mm-hmm. like we talked about yeah. Sif, uh-huh. kind of like a... Yeah, I mean, if you'll notice, and I can't remember them all, because we've I talked know. about quite a few. They all blend in together. But you'll hear in the descriptions of these first ancient Sumerian Mesopotamian gods counterparts in almost all of the pantheons that we've talked about so Mm -hmm. far they're just there and even the ones we haven't talked about like the hindu gods and even we're going to kind of skip over in a little bit we're going to skip over like the persian gods because um there's just so many we can't go through them all right we'll drive ourselves crazy and our listeners will quit listening because they'll get bored because it'll sound like we're talking about the same gods which i think we are but that's a different story Okay. Yeah, that's a different story. So also, Ki um, is known as the mother of most of the Anunnaki. Oh, now, there's a lot word. of conspiracy stuff surrounding the Anunnaki, mm-hmm. but we're going to get into how these Anunnaki were made, created, or born. But we'll do that in a minute. An and Ki were the parents of all of the gods of the Mesopotamian pantheon. Gotcha. Including the Anunnaki. The Adam and Eve of gods. 
So the Anunnaki are known as the most powerful gods in the ancient Sumerian pantheon. Okay. And they include seven gods, mm-hmm. right? Um, among them are Enlil, Enki, Nana, Utu, Inanna, and interestingly enough, An. So it's basically all the important gods. Okay. Yeah. They're kind of like the divine council people. Kind of. But in a way, it's not just the descendants that become the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki are actually across several generations of gods. Mm. So let's go to the second god of the triad of Sumerian gods, and that is Enlil. Okay. Now, Enlil, who later is known as Elil, that's the name for the Akkadian version of Enlil. He's the god of the air and the god of wind, earth, and storms. Oh, he's yeah. kind of Thorish. Okay. But he's also kind of Anish. I mean, you'd think he's the son of An. Mm-hmm. Son of Odin. Yeah, and so he kind of has a lot of the same attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, Enlil later becomes the chief of all gods. And in fact, An, because he is so high, so superior, so above everything, he actually kind of fades out of worship, and Enlil becomes the focus of most of the worship that happens in ancient Mesopotamia. Crazy. He basically becomes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Enlil was the dude. He's like the, the heir to the throne. Yeah. Basically, that is absolutely right. Prince Charming. Yeah. You or know, it's, it's really interesting. There were these things called the uh, Tablets of Destiny, Ooh. which is basically like a certification or some kind of seal that guarantees that the person or God that possesses these tablets, he has the right, the legal right, to become the ruler of the universe. Whoa. Yeah. So An passes the tablets of destiny to Enlil. And Enlil, as far as like Mesopotamian people were concerned, became the focus of their worship all across Mesopotamia. So Enlil came to be known as the chief of all gods. He was like the highest in the pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the son of An. His wife was the goddess Ninlil. Ninlil. Ninlil, oh. yeah. And his wife, Consul. How serendipitous for them to have such similar names. Well, and a lot of these, you know, they are represent the male, the masculine, and the feminine of the same god or the same concept. So Ninlil is the female representation of Enlil. Hmm. That kind of makes sense. Um, he is highly worshipped, more so than An ever was. And he was associated with the ancient city of Nippur. Okay. Yeah. So he was like the, the token god or the patron god of Nippur. And people prayed to him for good weather and a good harvest. Um, so you can imagine in those city-states way, 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 way back, how important it was to have a good crop and to make sure right. you had rain and all of those things. I mean, that was like how Set you, you survive. for your rest of your year yeah yeah. not just for you but also for your uh, family Family. so anyway i mean he was prayed to a very very popular god he held the tablets of destiny after an gave them to him an interesting tidbit is uh, there is a an ancient creation myth and also a destruction or flood myth that enlil plays a major part in and enlil is credited for bringing the great flood upon humanity yeah and the reason, the reason that he does is because people, humans, were procreating way too fast. They were having mm. way too many kids and growing too successful. And they were really noisy. And he was irritated with that. 
So he decided, Bad neighbor. <laughs> yeah. So he decided, hey, these little human people, I'm just going to get rid of those guys. Ish-posh. Yeah. I'm just going to flood the entire earth mm, makes and sense. destroy them because they're a pain in my sleeping time. Oh, yeah. big sleepy boy. Yeah. Big anyway. sleepy god of everything. Can't handle a bit of, bit of noise. Yeah. So anyway, he is he's known as that god. Um, fortunately, um, his brother, Inky, um, steps in. and, and But anyway, we'll talk about him in a minute. But he steps in and he kind of is responsible for saving mankind from the flood, at least in this creation or he this floats. flood myth. He was uh, also the lord of the Sumerian pantheon from 2500 BC onward. And later he was worshipped by the Akkadians. Um, he was uh, later personified by the god Marduk in the reign of uh, Hammurabi, which Marmaduke. is way, way, way later. The level at like Saint 1700 Bernard? BC. Or Great Dane or whatever? <laughs> no, no, different guy. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Stella of Hammurabi? No. It's like uh, the first, you know, actual written law or code where he writes down basically a series of laws that govern people. Instead of just having people like say, yeah, he robbed me, and then they go out and stone him, he sets up a justice system oh. where people get repaid, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but also a person who is accused has the right to defend themselves. Okay. So, I mean, the you whole right idea... To an attorney. Yeah, the whole idea of justice. an attorney, one will be provided for you. Yeah, you can think Hammurabi as the first guy that did that. He's the first Miranda. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, yeah. So that's uh, that's very interesting that later, well, you know, down the line, like, you know, 2,000 years later, the god Marduk kind of symbolizes the god Enlil. Have you ever heard of the uh, Stella of Artois? No. Yeah, uh, yeah. He made really fancy glasses. And then at the end of the commercial, he'd say, if we put this much craftsmanship into our glasses... Imagine what our beer tastes like. Is that first the Stella beer? Stella Artois, <laughs> the beer, yeah. Stella Artois, une bière ben Well, you know, some things never change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the third god of the triad was Inky. Now, he is really, really famous. The ghost from Pac-Man. Well, I don't know about that, but as, as far as a god in Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia, Inky was the god. Now, Inky was really interesting. He was associated with magic, wisdom, the arts. Um, he uh, could cast incantation and spells. And uh, he was also known as kind of a trickster. And I think of, you know, Inky and Loki are kind of, you know, they are very similar. He is also known as the god of the earth, that he is the one that actually is responsible for the earth. So we talked about in the triad, there is... On, who is way up there in the uh, mm-hmm. heavens. Then there's the sky god, which is Enlil. And then we have Enki, who is the earth god. He's the god that happens on the ground or under it, right? Yeah. And uh, he was married or had a consort called Ninma. Ninma. Uh, who was also known as the great queen. Mm, Mercury. Yeah, and he is, he is a son of An. There are also mythos that he is the son of the goddess Namu. Well, maybe Anne got around. Yeah, could he was be. a wanderer, mm-hmm. and he went from his key to his Namu. He gets it round and around and around. He's around. a wanderer. Yeah. But he has a twin brother named Ishker. We won't get into him much mm-hmm. because we don't have time. 
And he is also, and this is more important, he is the father of Marduk and the goddess Nanshi. And there's a lot of others. But Marduk, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but he is very famous, especially in the later Neo-Babylonian period. Just remember, he is the father of Marduk. Remember Marmaduke, mm-hmm. the doggy. Yeah. And now in another interesting story, and this is the same one we referred to earlier about Enlil. Enlil is tired of all these squawky people, you know, procreating like bunnies and, and making lots of noise. So he mm-hmm. decides to get rid of them all and uh, he's going to kill them. But Inky, you know, gets wind of it and he decides, hey, I'm going to let this guy and Trahasis know and then uh, encourage him to build an ark. So he does. And he brings himself, his family, and animals onto the ark. And there's a giant flood. And he saves mankind. Inky is the guy. So, I mean, that's a very similar story to the Noah epic. So, Enlil, kind of a douche. Inky, kind of a nice, compassionate fellow. Yeah, yeah. So, Inky had a fondness for humans because Mm -hmm. in another story we'll talk about in a minute, he helps create them. Oh. Yeah. A little bit of a... Creator's bias. Yeah. So, and interestingly enough, the first human, his name was Adapa. Now, he was the first human created by Inky, by dirt, and the blood Mm -hmm. of Kingu. So, those are the three gods of the ancient Sumerian or Mesopotamian triad. Now, there are hundreds, if not thousands of gods in the Mesopotamian pantheon. Can't go through them all. Don't want to go through them all. Honestly, they all start kind of sounding the same as other gods and other pantheons that we went over. Fertility, yeah. trickstery, yeah. thunder, fire, storms. Right, yeah, right. Held the underworld, all that kind of stuff. But we're going to go over the Sumerian planetary deities. So these were under the triad. There were like seven deities. And these were the gods that were known for the different days of the week as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I thought that might be kind of interesting. There were seven planetary deities. They were also the uh, days of the week. They influenced all of our modern methods of measuring time. Oh, okay. Important fellows then. Yeah. So, you know, from 60 seconds to 60 minutes to how many? 125,600 minutes. (laughs) So let's keep going. The Sumerian planetary deities. Let's start with uh, Monday, which would be Utu. Mm. Or Shamash, the sun god. Hey, Dad, happy Monday. Yeah, thank you. Say, you too. You too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Monday, you too. Oh, that's weird, isn't it? It's actually Utu. Utu. Yeah, Utu. Yeah. yeah, you got to play with the word a little bit. Utu, also known as Shamash, um, the sun god. He's the god of truth, justice, and morality. Okay. He is also a son of Nana, and he's the twin brother of Inanna, who is a goddess we'll talk about later. Okay. So Nana was also known as Nana Suen and Enzu and Sin. Hmm. Um, he was the god of the moon. It sounds like it should be a female god, but it's actually a masculine god. Yeah. Um, and Nana. he is the son of Enlil and Nenlil. Nenlil. Nenlil, Nenlil. Yeah, we talked about yeah, them. we talked about them. Uh, Enlil is one of the triad gods, right? He likes to kill people yeah. with water. <laughs> <laughs> and he's often represented as assuming all of God's powers, thus uh, kind of like he's on himself. So in the way that people view him, he is often viewed as something parallel to on. Mm. Yeah. He's got like uh, all God's powers. 
Interesting. And, you know, interesting, he is represented by the crescent moon. And those crescent moons often, you know, you go out, you look up, and there would be like a temple, and on top would be a crescent moon shape. Oh. That symbol is something that we still see today. I mean, we see it, you know, I mean, if we look at the Middle East and we look at the mosques and stuff, a lot of times there is a crescent moon on top of those mosques. Right. Not to mention, we're talking about the fertile crescent. The fertile crescent. Yeah, it is kind of a crescent shape of the crescent moon. Or, or a chewed up fingernail clipping. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So uh, next we have Nergal or Mars. Mars. Yeah, Mars he and uh, Nergal, he's associated with forest fires and Yikes. and the fire god Gibble. Gibble? I love that word. Gibble. Gibble. Um, he's also associated. He's also associated. <laughs> he's also associated. <laughs> with uh, fevers, plagues, and war. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this guy's like pestilence he is or something. not a happy camper. No. Um, he's the mythological cause of destruction and devastation. Yikes. Yeah, so keep moving on. We've got Naboo or Mercury. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. where Princess Amadala's from. Naboo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Princess Amadala. I didn't know she was from Mercury. Nabu. Yeah. But he's the god of scribes and writing. Okay. Doodler. And uh, he's known for his, uh, you know, he's kind of like the patron saint of wisdom and agriculture. Okay. Yeah. So next up we have Marduk. Now, Marduk shows up all over in Babylonian history. He's like the patron saint of Babylonia. Okay. My baloney has a first name. It's M-A-R-D-U-K. My baloney has a second name. It's M-A-R-U-D-A-K. J-U-P-I-T-E-R. <laughs> I love to read about it every day because M-A-R-D-U-K is a god you say. He's a god of B-A-B-L-O-L-I-N-E. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. It just reminded me of that because he's not the god of Babylonia. Well, I guess he kind of is, but he's the god of Babylon. Babylon. <laughs> kind of funny so moving on yeah so marduk we'll talk more about him maybe in a minute uh so marduk <laughs> marduk is the son of namu uh, interestingly enough he's the national god of babylon he is often paralleled as enlil later on so so let's get the uh, dynasties here right so there was the babylonian empire and then there was the neo-babylonian empire so in the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which is way later, so that's when like Nebuchadnezzar, and we have the stories about Daniel and all of that. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated, and it kind of gives me a brain headache. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm talking about all this stuff and drinking whiskey. I mean, that's what happens. But anyway, <laughs> so Marduk is the hero in the Enuma Elish, okay. which is a very ancient writing about Marduk. And uh, he's an Anunnaki god who defeated Tiamat. And uh, she is the chaos goddess, basically. Mm -hmm. And in that mythology that's in that Enuma Elish, Tiamat is also the goddess of chaos whose counterpart is Apsu, who is basically the primordial god. Before there was anything, Apsu and Tiamat were the forces that combined to form and birth all of the other gods. So they kind of parallel um, on and his consort. And kind key. of, kind of, but they, they're a little bit different too. I mean, it's weird. The Babylonians had this other construct 
in their pantheon. Very complex. Very yeah, confusing. it is. And uh, anyway, Marduk, when he slayed Tiamat, um, the goddess of chaos, he brought order to the universe. Okay. And he also defeated King Yu, and King Yu was a god. And then from the blood that was taken from King Yu after he was killed, Inki combined dirt and the blood of King Yu to create humankind. And the reason was because they needed people to basically serve the gods and, you know, to bear the burdens of life. And then the gods could just be left to their leisure. They could just do whatever they wanted. Interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy. You'd think a guy who could create people would be able to get his own, like, beer out of the fridge. Well, there's a god S mm-hmm. of beer. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember her name. I liked her. Yeah. Um, but I didn't research her much because... Was her name St. Polly? <laughs> no, but it should have been. <laughs> or Stella. Ooh, Stella. The goddess Stella, the goddess of beer. Stella. One thing I did read that was interesting, the whole idea of beer back then was very noble. Key. I mean, if you drank beer, you were sophisticated. <laughs> no key. What? I was going to say Keystone, but he kept talking. Oh, Keystone. <laughs> so oh, like, see, that would have been perfect. I was going to say yeah. Keystone, yeah. but you kept talking, and then it was just like, yeah. Key. <laughs> but there, was, there, there truly was a goddess of beer. It was very sophisticated to drink beer. Only the people that were sophisticated did. Oh, heaven. Yeah. They were awoke to the need to drink beer. Oh, my. Yeah. So we next we have Inanna. And now Inanna is associated with Ishtar. Now, Ishtar is also associated with the planet Venus, mm. who is also associated with many of the people that you talked about. Basically was the goddess of love, sex, prostitution, and war. She's the most popular and important female deity of ancient Mesopotamia. Okay. Yep. She had it going on. She had her own gate. Yes, she you know she did I mean. the Ishtar Gate. You bet. She let people go in and out of her all the oh time. My but anyway, gosh. <laughs> she's personified with Venus um, and the morning and evening star because she was very visible in both the morning and in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, she and her twin Utu were the enforcers of divine justice. Mm. Yep, they made things divine justice. Yeah, I mean, you did something wrong, you were going to pay for it. And Ishtar was going to make it happen. Okay. Um, in one interesting mythology of Ishtar or Inanna, um, she tried to take over her uh, sister's domain in the underworld. Her sister's name was Arishkagal. Poor girl. In her attempt, other gods struck her dead. She was killed. Yeah. But Inki was, uh, you know, upset about it. He intervenes, and she is revived. Right. He's kind of a softy. Yeah, he's a softy. He's, looking out for the people, looking out for his daughter. Good he's guy. known as being very benevolent, yes. Mm. The bad thing about that was that even though Inanna was raised from the dead and came back to life, her husband had to serve her sentence in the underworld. Oh. Yeah. Um, Ninkasi is the name of the beer goddess. Ooh, Ninkasi. Yeah. Yep. Goddess of beer. The Mesopotamian goddess of beer. You got to love Ninkasi. Her father's name was King of Uruk. 
Oh, yeah. King of Uruk. U-R-U-K. The famous king of Uruk is Gilgamesh. The Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the most ancient writings about right. a story. And Gilgamesh was the king of Uruk. So, anyway, I like that name because it's very close to our last name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put an L in there, one more consonant, and you've got Ulrich. Yeah. Which is our last name. Which is the king of being dope. <laughs> king of being dope and beer. And well, beer. No, maybe not. But anyway, yeah, we're related to beer. We're related to beer? Yeah. Well, all right. I've been drinking my cousins. <laughs> I don't think what we've talked about oh. in the last 10 seconds. Maybe the last minute has made any sense. No, I don't think so. But let's move on to the last god of the seven. Okay. The last, last of, of the seven, seven is Nanurta. Nanurta? Who is also known as Ningirsu. Ningirsu. Yep. Okay. He is affiliated with Saturn. And okay. he is a warrior god. The warrior mm. deity. He's the champion of gods. Nice. Tough Patri- guy. And he was also the patron god of agriculture and farmers. Huh. Weird. Tough country boy. Then. That's weird. Yeah, he... He'd go out and kick some butt, and then he'd come back and plant mm-hmm. some seed. But anyway, Work. one thing about this whole Mesopotamian pantheon, it is ripe with all kinds of stories of incest and forbidden love and like the infidelities. Norse or the Roman or the Egyptian or Same any other pantheon. Now, it's really interesting that these stories in ancient Mesopotamia as they go forward, tie into a lot of other stories from other, I don't even know if you can call them a pantheon, but you can call like, so let's go to the Hebrew God. Okay. Yahweh. So a lot of the stories in the Judeo-Christian Bible take place in Mesopotamia. And in the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch um, that were supposedly written by Moses, Mm -hmm. it chronicles a lot of these associations with these ancient gods that we've talked about, including Marduk, and there are many others. But what's fascinating to me is they have all these same kinds of mythologies and stories about events, including the event of creation, Mm -hmm. where in the Mesopotamian mythologies, we have these primordial gods that represent chaos or salt water and fresh water. And that water is separated into two different types of water. And then from that, the earth is eventually created and out of chaos comes order. Right. And that follows the Genesis story from the ancient Hebrew scriptures of the creation myth that out of chaos, God spoke and made creation, and he divided the waters. So there are these parallel stories that are the same. Now, if you look at chronologically, we have these writings in cuneiform back to 4000 BC. Moses, if he wrote the Pentateuch, probably wrote those stories somewhere around 2000 BC. So those stories that we have from the ancient Hebrew are probably 2000 years newer, than the Mesopotamian stories. But what they show is that there's a common storyline. There's a thread. Mm -hmm. Um, If there wasn't anything prior to this ancient Mesopotamian writing, then they were oral traditions that were being handed down. So in the Judeo-Christian history, you have Moses, and prior to him you have Abraham and his sons, and all of that story. And Abraham was called out of 
Ur, which was in the same land in Mesopotamia, in the land of the Chaldees, and probably would have taken place somewhere around, I don't know, what, 2000, 3000 BC. And then down through that, you have this whole history of the Hebrew God calling people to himself as his people through time. And then it's chronicled by Moses in the Pentateuch. Hmm. And a lot of the stories that take place in the Pentateuch have similarities or parallels in these writings of the ancient Mesopotamians, including the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Enuma Elish. And they chronicle stories of like creation. They, they chronicle stories of the great flood. They have the same kind of characters. And it's very, very interesting. Now, some scholars will say that, well, that's proof that the ancient Hebrews borrowed from the ancient Mesopotamians and created their mythology from this other story. Right. Other people will say, no, 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 that's not the case. They share the same origin of those stories. Chicken or the egg, bro. Yeah, basically. Chicken or the egg. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is that you have in the Hebraic idea of God or Yahweh, you have a different kind of God than in any other pantheon. You have a God that is monotheistic. Mm-hmm. Singular. And, yeah, singular. And he's kind of like the God on, but more so. Um, he is the God of the heavens. He is the supernatural supreme ruler of the cosmos, of the universe. But he is the only God. So he's monotheistic. And his requirements for his people that he adopts, which were the Jews, Mm -hmm. are totally different than what is required of the other gods in the other pantheons for all the peoples of Mesopotamia, or for that matter, anywhere else in the world through all pantheon history. Mm, It's like a hipster god. He's different. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely different. Now, later on, you have Allah who kind of pops out of that same Judeo-Christian kind of monotheistic kind of idea. Mm -hmm. But the God of Yahweh is different. He claims sovereignty over everything and anything else that was created. And he also claims to be the God of creation over all other gods. You know, they were called Elohim that he created everything that has been created, and before him there was nothing. And in that first couple chapters of Genesis, you have this God that speaks into existence, out of chaos, creation, and peace, and shalom, and all of these things. Mm -hmm. Now, what's really interesting is, you follow this, you chronicle this through, that in the life of the Hebrews, he was active. He kept calling people out to follow him. He made promises and covenants that were not reliant upon the people that followed him, but upon himself. So unlike the other gods, you know, basically like, okay, if you do this and this and this and this, I might grant you favor and give you good crops for a year. Right. The Yahweh God, the God of the Hebrews would say things more like, I know you can't do it. So I'm going to promise you something to make a covenant that I will do regardless of what you do. And the penalty for not obeying that covenant will be upon me. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a different guy. Yeah, it's different. It's it's really different. And so for me, who kind of has my faith system built in that history, it's weird. I see a, a stark contrast that I never really saw before until I started doing this deep dive into these different pantheons and different gods and strange gods. This god of the ancient Hebrews is very unique in his origins and also in his requirements. 
Now you get to in the Hebrew tradition and the God Yahweh requires, it doesn't even require, but he basically calls Abraham out of Ur and says, out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. He doesn't say, if you obey me, I'm going to make you a great. He's like, I'm going to, out of you. It's going to happen. This, gonna, is, this is the deal, guy. This is the deal. I'm going to do it. And so he does that. And then through that, you get the whole lineage up to the, you know, the Messiah. And then when you get into the Judeo-Christian history, you have this other God that appears on the scene, which is, you know, Jesus. Yeah. Who's kind of the same God. But yeah. He's like the visual representation of the invisible God, Yahweh. Unless you're a traditional Jewish person, which just says he's a good rabbi. He's a good, yeah, he's a rabbi. He's, you know, a prophet. Right. Um, but in At that the, point, it kind of fizzles. Right. In the Judeo-Christian mindset, he is the fulfillment of a promise by the God, Yahweh. Mm. And that God carries down through time his promise, irregardless of the ability of his chosen people to do what he says, he brings about the arrival of this person, this God, this God-man named Yeshua or Jesus. Kind of like an incarnation of himself yeah. as a human being. Yeah, kind of. Kind of like when Zeus turned into a swan, but a little less, uh, let's get it on and a little more, yeah, kind of come like hang that. out with me. Kind of like, and that's one thing that's really interesting. You think about, so the Judeo-Christian God and Jesus. Well, and they call it the Trinity, kind of like you mentioned earlier, this this idea of the Trinity, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. You know, mm-hmm. you've got these three entities that are unique and distinct, but yet they all claim to be the same and they're one. So they're, it's monotheistic, but it has these three I, I don't want to say modes because that's an idea of modalism, which is that God takes an independent form at different times in different modes. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. They are three individual beings that are perpetually and forever together as monotheistic God and have always been. Interesting. Yeah. So they're triune. I mean, Trinity never shows up in you know in scripture anywhere. It's just a word that we use to describe this strangeness. Right. And it is strange. I mean, in the base root of the word strange, that is what you would call it because it's something that doesn't make logical sense, especially in our Western mindset. It doesn't. And you have this Hebrew God that interweaves his history with these Mesopotamian gods. And in the biblical narratives in the Torah, you have all these stories of like these encounters with these gods like Marduk and these kings like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon or being called out of uh, Ur in Mesopotamia where they worshipped An and Enlil and Anki. You have these things going on, but it's totally different. It's other. It's something, you know, it, it doesn't follow those same pantheon gods. So it's not syncretic. There's not the syncretism that you have in other systems like like when the Assyrians came in, they had their own pantheon of gods. And when the Akkadians came in or the Persians or whatever, they just kind of all kind of blended together. Fizzle-fazzled. Yeah. And then you you do the same kind of thing going forward from that with like the Greeks and the uh, Romans and the Mayans. And you have these same kind of entities built into the pantheons of those gods. Mm-hmm. But... God of the harvest, God of... Fertility, God right. of X, Y, and Z, God of beer. Yeah, but in the Hebrew God, 
It's totally different than that. It's kind of like it doesn't. It doesn't match guy. any of those. Now there are things that kind of tie into it, like the idea of human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So we talked about Marduk, and we talked about Baal. Well, we didn't really talk about Baal, which is another god of like the Canaanites and the Amorites mm-hmm. and stuff. But um, Baal, they would sacrifice their children to these different gods. They would, Eesh. yeah, they would give their children, surrender them to the flames, so that they would be blessed. They'd have good crops, or they'd win a war. Which kind of reminds me of the Mayan god we talked about. Right? Yeah, exactly. There is a reference in uh, the Bible about God saying, okay, um, will you sacrifice your son, Isaac? So Abraham is the guy that is in the story. And Abraham is told, hey, I want you to take your uh, kid out who, you know, you only have one real child because uh, you guys were, you know, basically barren. And in your later age, you finally were able to conceive one son, an only son. And he's like, kill it. Yeah. Go out and I want you to prove that you love me and trust me by sacrificing him as a burnt offering. Now, the sacrificial system was something that was well known in the Mesopotamian religions. So it wasn't like something new. I'm sure Abraham had heard about it. But he's like, okay, my God uh, is talking to me and he's telling me to go out to do the things that all of these other gods do. So, okay, I'll do it because I trust him. So in, in that story... God spares Isaac at the last moment. The son of Abraham, he's, he steps in and says, don't do it. It was like a test. But all of that was to kind of foreshadow what God was going to do by offering his son, one of the members of the Trinity. He was going to offer himself right. as a sacrifice like a replacement. for mankind. And so to me, that is like one of the major key differences is that every other thing that you read about in the pantheons is about sacrificing to get something from the gods. Do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. In the Hebrew idea of God, of Yahweh, he is the God that sacrifices himself for humanity. It's Mm. backwards. It's inverted. It's upside down. And that to me is very... Top Gun. It's in... (laughs) Kind of. Because I was inverted. (laughs) But that's really intriguing if you think about it. I'm not trying to to do any, you know, proselytizing or anything like that. I'm not trying to convert anybody. But it is a stark contrast to most of the pantheons that are there. And out of that, out of that idea of self-sacrifice comes so many things that are so important to society and civilization for the rest of time in Western thought and in Eastern thought. And if you think about it, even to this very day, the things that happen because of that mindset of giving of yourself rather than taking, or the idea of the ability to sacrifice even when it's unwarranted because it's the right thing to do. So you think about the idea of hospitals. You know, what do you have? You have all of these these systems that are in place now, like St. Luke's, St. Alphonsus, you know, St. Jude's. Mm-hmm. That is all born out of this idea that you sacrifice for the betterment of others. Right. Rather than the just, you know, taking care of yourself. And that is something that's very unique to the Judeo-Christian kind of idea of God. The God that sacrifices for others rather than the God who demands sacrifice for himself. Mm. And so, you know, I think that's kind of cool. You know, when I think about it, and I don't want to go too much into it because I think that, you know, it would get kind of preachy and I don't mean to do that, but it's something that I've really, really noticed in the contrast. And it's something I didn't really expect when we started this whole discussion 
on uh, strange gods. I was kind of wanting to get into it because I just knew all these strange stories about all these pantheons. And you hear like Zeus and then you hear yeah. Odin and, and you're like, whoa, those guys are kind of like the same. And then you hear another one and you're kind of like, well, there's a lot of these gods that are the same before we started doing all the research. And then we did the research and we're like, wow, they are mm-hmm. kind of a lot of the same. Yeah. But it's I really do true. like, you know, and maybe there's a little bit of uh confirmation bias or whatever you want to call it sure because i mean you grew up in a very uh you grew up in a very like strict religious background legalistic yeah yeah and then mine was a little more lackadaisical but Mm -hmm. still grew up you know going to church Mm -hmm. going to sunday school blah 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 well for me as i was growing up my belief system was very similar to a lot of the requirements of the pantheon i mean in order for god a God to bless me, to give me things in life that are good, then it was required that I live a good life and that I sacrifice and that I go to church three times a week and that I give 10% of my money. You know, all these ideas of, and their legalism is the word that we would use, but these ideas that because I do good things, then God will bless me with good things. Right. That is the idea of the pantheon where you have a people that try to pacify a God so that they can get blessings, even if the blessing is just to survive or to have food to eat. Um, I was shocked to find later in my life that, no, that way that I was taught, even though it's very common, was inaccurate from my understanding of Scripture or of the Bible or of the Hebrew God or the Christian God. That basically the difference was that, no, it's not my ability to sacrifice to get. It was that that God gave because he knew I couldn't do those things. You know what it reminds me of is like uh, when you're walking through like a big building, any kind of big building will have double doors. Mm -hmm. So like you go through one set and there's like an entry room. Foyer, yeah. 10 feet by 20 feet where there's enter and exit doors. Mm-hmm. And then there's another set of doors. And it's like somebody like getting in front of you to open the door for you. And then you open the next door for them. And you're like, oh, that was obligation. That felt weird. Mm-hmm. Or you open the door for them. And then they go in and then they open. Yeah. But this situation seems more like they open the door for you. And then they sneak in behind you, get around you, and open the door for you again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's no, like, expectation of, you know, gratitude or, you know, yeah. payback. Because a lot of times, even me, you know, I'll go and I'll open the door for the lady at daycare. You know, she's got a baby on her hip. But then I'm walking in behind her. I kind of expect her to open the door for me and hold it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It's how civilization mm-hmm. works. But it's almost like I open the door for her. She walks in and I sneak around her and open the door again. And you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, that was weird. I yeah. didn't do anything. Yep. You've already set everything up for me. All I got to do is walk through this, you know, entryway you've made for me. Yeah. Well, you know what's weird about that? So you think about your family. Think about your, you know, you want to impress your dad <laughs> or your mom. That's a loser. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say you got a dad. You love your dad. I mean, if you have to do good things to impress him so that he'll love you, that's kind of empty. That's kind of harsh. Because mm-hmm. what if you can't? 
But that's different than when you know your dad's going to love you no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what you have in this idea of of this Yahweh God, which is different. He's personable. He's Abba. Abba. I mean, the band? <laughs> no, that's a good band, though. I like Abba. You like Abba? Uh, my wife was in. Here we go again, Abba. Mama Mia. Mama Mia. Mama yeah, Mia. Mama Mia. Yeah, she was in Mama Mia. Yeah, I don't know what that really has to do with anything other than. It's almost like he's saying, "Take a chance, take a take a chance, chance, take a chance on me." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Abba again. But so when I try to live my life, I try to live my life in a way that honors them, not to get them to love me, but out of response because I feel like I am loved. Right. That make any sense? To me, yes. To me, it makes sense. But I think there's other religions too that that can make sense in. To where, some extent, where yeah. Where you're not, yeah. it's not about what you can do for something else. It's about what something else has done and you living up to expectations and mm-hmm. or you trying to pay back something. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get into that whole idea of karma. Karma. Yeah. You know, I've done good. And because I've done good, good things will happen back to me. Mm-hmm. Or if I do bad, eventually, bad things are going to catch up with me. Which, in a way, relates to the kind of Christian mindset where if you don't, you know... To some people, it's a very legalistic environment. Mm-hmm. And you, if, you, if you do bad, if you don't do the right things, mm-hmm. you could end up in hell. And Satan's going to whip you with a cat of nine tails. Yeah, 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 yeah. Forever or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like they are different levels. Because on one level you have, okay, I'm going to do good things to get good things. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that doesn't work out very well, I don't think, in the real world. Because I think a lot of good people have a lot of bad things that happen to them. So that's not, that doesn't work. But in the natural world, there's also that aspect which is, you know, you do dumb things, then dumb things are going to happen to you. And it's a natural cause and effect kind of yeah. relationship. And there's nothing supernatural really about it other than if I do something stupid, then I'm probably going to pay for it with something stupid, you know, something bad that happens to me. Um, Then there's the whole idea of what, like what you deserve versus what you get. So if you're really good, that may make you think that you deserve really good things. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to get in your mind really good things, but that doesn't always work out. Mm-mm. And sometimes your scale of what is good is not good at all. It's actually really bad, depending on your perspective. Right. It's like sliding scale. So, you know, I'm not I'm not convinced that there's any kind of real kind of confidence in any system of belief that is dependent upon your ability to be good or do things that earn you favor. It's kind of... To me, it reminds me of enlightenment, which would be like a Hindu thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Enlightenment is almost like they discover that things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And you are the way you are. And that's freeing. And that's liberating. Mm -hmm. And you give to other people and you do things that are good just simply to bless other people. Right. Not to... you know get a reward or anything like that so it kind of reminds me of that only that was the beginning that was the to use your word genesis of the whole thing is somebody gave you their enlightenment somebody was enlightened and kind of passed that on to you and they they weren't selfish they weren't taking for themselves and then they kind of just 
left it and, and they were at peace with it. And then it's up to you to find that and kind of take it on yourself. Well, it's really weird. It's like... I feel preachy. I don't like that. Yeah. It's kind of like <laughs> slap yourself. Well, you know what we're talking about is this idea of what is the purpose of life and things? Mm-hmm. What's the reason? Why are we here? Is there a purpose? Those kind of questions. I think there's an actual word for that. Destiny? Destiny isn't just a stripper, Dad. So the word I'm thinking of is the word ontological. Ontological? Yeah. Trying to make sense of our existence and uh, be able to assign like an ultimate reason or cause for our existence. Mm-hmm. Ontological. Like kind right? of assigning right. purpose. Yeah. You know, that's the whole idea behind this whole God thing. What is our purpose? What? And what caused us to be here and why? So the other one that's kind of tied with that is teleological. Mm -hmm. Telephone. And that's about what is the purpose, you know? What is the purpose of our existence in this material world? Are we living in a digital simulation? Or are we spirits (laughs) in a material (laughs) world? Right. Are spirits... Are, Are we in the matrix? And, you know, in The Matrix, one thing that was kind of cool was they represented these gods as programs in The Matrix. Mm-hmm. And they had different things assigned to them that they did that they were responsible for. That sounds a lot like the gods and almost all the pantheons, that they are responsible for certain aspects of existence. Not necessarily their own existence, but the existence of humankind. Because we experience things for ourselves. And we ask these questions. Why? Why are we here? What is this about? Where are we going? You know, who created this? Right. We know that we can't. We're not. We are finite. We cannot create our own eternal destiny. At least not yet. That's the goal of transhumanism, by the way. Um, But right now we are, you know, we are basically at the mercy of chance in this world. Right. Especially if you take on the view of science, that the only thing is random chance. That we are only here floating in this giant universe as an accident that somehow happened on a small rock in some small corner of some small galaxy in a small planet that just happened to have everything right so that life could like burst forth. In some ways, it makes you feel very honored, but in other ways, it's like, we are so fragile. That was weird. (laughs) Right. And so if that's your aspect, if that's all you are, is the speck of a speck of a speck of a speck of an accident, that's not very uplifting. And there's something in our nature that makes us want to think that we are more than that. Right. I hope I'm more than that. I hope you're more than that. I hope the people I love are more than that. I hope everybody's more than that. Yeah. You know what this whole thing makes me think of? And it's kind of a biased, well, maybe not biased, but fresh in my mind. So I just finished the third Stephen King Dark Tower book. You are in love with Stephen King. I know. He's my favorite. Why don't you ask him to marry you? It's called like The Wastelands, I think. Uh So the whole book is these three characters. So the previous book was about the the main character getting his other two companions for this long journey to the Dark Tower, which is the name of the series. But he goes to this town. The the uh, gunslinger and he's got his his companions with him. Um, he's got one companion who is 
a legless African-American woman from like 1950. How does she move? They have like a sling for her and they actually have her wheelchair and oh, okay, they, they okay. work her along through the jungle. Okay, gotcha. The next one's a like a New York kind of gangster, kind of mm. not gangster kind of guy. And then the last one's a little boy who actually died in the first book, but because they're working kind of between dimensions, they're able to catch him in another oh, dimension ooh, and bring him back. In the matrix. Kind of pretty cool. Spoiler alert. Anyway, they go to this town where there is this quote-unquote God. And at one point every night or every day, this God plays the drum track to Velcro Fly by ZZ Top. <laughs> and during that time, there's like some sort of sacrifice that happens mm. on layer n- number one. And these people call themselves and are called the pubes which I don't know why they picked that word. <laughs> and then and then below the surface is this group of people called the Greys, and they kind of are acting against the pubes in this war kind of between... The Greys kind of understand that... How do I phrase this? I sure hope this is going somewhere. It is, kind of. So the Grey pubes are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Sounds like some weird old man sex thing. Person thing, yeah. No, so basically, this Velcro Flies Easy Top drum track that comes on is governed. Three pubes in it? Yes. Because it is ZZ Top. They're old. Yeah. Velcro Fly. Things get stuck. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's this computer entity, and and he's kind of characterized as a train. But he's like a coal computer network that runs an entire town. Mm-hmm. And and his name is Blaine. And he plays this track because the people need a god. The people feel like the greys are in some way against them. And if they sacrifice to this god, then the god will keep them safe. But the greys kind of know that the god is the reason that the pubes are sacrificing their kids. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. It's almost like a self-fulfilling, like a circle. So the people created this machine named Blaine. Mm -hmm. Blaine ends up fulfilling the people's need for a god by requiring sacrifice. And it becomes kind of this teeter-totter where these people are in suffering. And Blaine kind of goes nuts because he's kind of like the ruler of these people who he's manipulating, but are kind of the creators of him, which makes him useless. Mm. It's this whole circular Stephen King thing where it's not on the surface like the pubes. It's below like the grays. It's it's very confusing. And the whole thing that makes us even weirder is the ruler of the grays is this guy named TikTok, who is a... I know it sounds weird, but that's his name because he likes clocks. Okay. But he's a giant. He's like the descendant of a giant of a giant of a giant. He's like this giant man and he can move with light speed and he's above everybody else who's not as good as him this is weird i know i wish i could articulate it better like stephen king could (laughs) but if you were to read the book you'd be like man that's a lot of the stuff we've been talking about where there's this kind of self-fulfilling i want to say prophecy but it's not a prophecy it's like a a desire for people to have a god and then that god kind of turns against them because they don't feel like they can please something that they've created without sacrifice. 
And it kind of becomes this like, well, I need more death and you guys need to sacrifice to me more. And then they sacrifice to him more and then they don't get more rain or Mm -hmm. whatever they need. And it just kind of becomes this flip-flop thing. I mean, there are tons of dystopian stories similar to that. It's like a common thread, maybe not as common as Stephen King's rendition. But this idea that people create gods, gods create people. And it's like this circular loop. You remember the, uh, what is it, Battlestar Galactica? Mm. And the whole thing is that they're tracing this down. They finally find these like uh, replicants, not replicants, what do they call them? Um, Clones. Mm -hmm. And these clones through multiple generations eventually become human Mm -hmm. and start having kids. And then that is the birth of the human race, which eventually creates robots, which eventually create clones which eventually become humans and it's this like this cycle thing it's kind of the whole premise of like every robot human story or even cloning yeah i mean that's the the thing in like blade Blade runner Runner. the replicants become able to procreate and then you know what i think of is god creates man man creates dinosaur (laughs) dinosaur kills man and then the girl's like and then women inherit the earth yeah right (laughs) God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> From line. From Jurassic Park. That was a great line. I don't know. This whole thing is very, very interesting. And we could go way deeper. I mean, somehow we have to pull the plug on it. I want to pull the plug basically by tying in one last section that we haven't really talked about a lot, but it does tie in. And that is the whole idea of the Watchers and the Fallen Ones and the Nephilim and that whole construct. Right. And this goes back to the Judeo-Christian start of things and the apocryphal books like in the Book of Enoch. Right. Which are very, very old historical I mean, you can't be a historian and be like, oh, those are fake. No, these were found. These are actual things that people found in historical sites, fiction or not. Mm -hmm. It represents the time. Well, and a lot of them have the same stories, but Mm -hmm. they add to them. So these were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Book of Enoch was Mm -hmm. there. And there are a lot of other ones. There's the Book of the Giants. There's the Watchers. There are all these books. And a lot of them date back to, you know, not as old as like the Enuma Elish and the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is really old. But, you know, they're like second century, third century. Mm -hmm. And they tell the story of the Genesis account where the sons of God, which in the Book of Enoch are the Watchers, Mm -hmm. saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Oh, yeah. And they came down and they decided, and they weren't supposed to. They were, they basically got it on and had offspring, which were called the Nephilim. Nephilim. So you have these watchers and you have the Nephilim. And that is a story that, in so many ways, when you read these Pantheon stories, are almost like the origins of the gods of these ancient pantheons. So, from our perspective, because we're a little biased. Sure. We can maybe kind of, and I think everybody who's listened to us knows Mm -hmm. kind of where we're standing. Sure. But you can say, okay, well, maybe some of these watchers have turned into some Norse gods. 
right. some pagan gods, some well, and like some of these other gods that are gods of um, fertility and want sex with everybody, sex with everybody, because that seems to be what all the other gods are about. Well, and the and heroic this, deeds that these gods or these spawn of gods did are very similar to the same stories that you find in the pantheons mm-hmm. of the gods doing. Right. Yeah. And then sacrifices and mm-hmm. and all these other things, they kind of line up. And I think even, is it the Book of Enoch where uh, a tribe is sent to go actually destroy these giants? Well, yeah. You have these gods or these Elohim, mm-hmm. the council of gods, that were the created beings from Yahweh, the God of all. God number one. God number one. That had different classifications. These are just different types of creatures. Mm-hmm. And these Regional gods, managers. Right. Managers. With different qualities. Just like different managers. animals have different capabilities or, yeah. you know, whatever. Superpowers. Different classes. So he created these different beings. And some of them had certain jobs that they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Some thought women were beautiful and they fell. Some had authority over certain regions or lands or peoples. Some of them protected the holiness or God's, you know, essence. Some of them had jobs in like the Garden of Eden. You know, I mean, they they were different. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like we use the word angel, you know, and we think angels. Oh, that's all of these creatures, which... Is true, but there were different kinds. Right. And so you have angels, you might have Raphael, you might have, you know, the seraphim. Um, they all are different types of angelic beings or creatures that had certain roles that they did. Right. Kind of reminds me of the cartoon Avatar, where, you know, everybody's got like these mystic powers over different elements of the earth. Sure. Wind, water, fire, earth. Yeah. You know, they can manipulate their surroundings based on their heritage or whatever well one thing i was going to say one thing different about the traditions of these gods or elohim in hebrew cultures is not that they are gods that should be worshipped they are seen as false gods they are seen as demons they are seen as these creatures that fell Mm. they are totally not gods in the sense that yahweh was Mm mm-hmm they are created beings. They may be immortal in the sense that they don't die, that they live forever, but they definitely do not have supreme power. Which kind of ties in our whole, like, even when we were talking about Bigfoot and stuff, mm-hmm. which sounds silly, but the whole, uh, you know, people getting abducted or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. it's always based on sex and finding mm-hmm. some kind of offspring, mm-hmm. it seems like. And if these gods that were gods at one point are eternal, but they're kind of trying to find a way to materialize and be a have a body, quote unquote, god again, Mm -hmm. and have them a mortal or a physical, biological Mm -hmm. house to inhabit, yeah, then we touched upon that. Then maybe they are, you know, something along those lines. In the Book of Enoch, it talks about that they were bound. These angels, these creatures, these gods, these Elohim, the divine council that left their abode to chase, you know, strange flesh, which mm-hmm. would be women. And I agree, sometimes women are very strange. They uh, they basically were judged and they were put in bond in Tartarus or mm-hmm. Hades. So they're being stored there for the day of judgment. But 
a lot of commentators say that, yeah, they were put in bonds, but it's talking about their physical bodies. Mm. But their actual essence, the spirits, are loose on the earth and looking for a body to inhabit. So they're just kind of like wandering. Right. Which kind of gives you all this stuff for like demons and yeah. ghosts and... Disembodied spirits and... looking for a home. So here's an interesting kind of thought about that. So you have these original creatures. Let's call them watchers or fallen angels or whatever that decide to go down and procreate with women. They have their own type of body, right? Mm -hmm. So they procreate with women and then they have offspring. Now those offspring have physical bodies and immortal souls, but yet they're physical in the sense of the humanity side. So they now have bodies and immortal spirits. In the flood, the immortal spirits survive, but the physical bodies are destroyed. Which means that the immortal spirits are wandering around bodyless. And searching for a way to kind of biologically or not so biologically create something they can live in to exist in this world where they've been sent to be kings of. So they're trapped in this dimension, in a three-dimensional world, but have no body to present themselves in this three-dimensional world. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Why was the Elohim so lonely? Why? Because he had no body. (laughs) 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 Yeah, no body. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I don't know. We're going way, way down here. down the rabbit hole. You know, which is a fitting end to this series, I think. You know, I hope we didn't get too uh, preachy. I don't think we did because... We can edit things. Yeah, we can edit things. (laughs) And also, it is a strange thing for no matter what your your view is on God or no God or whatever. The pantheons are weird. I mean, in the purest sense of the word, it is strange. We might feel we know it because we, you know, people have gone to church for umpteen years and they've heard the same stories. There you go. But if you go back to what it is, if you can get your mind out of the the indoctrination that you've had for the last whatever years, Mm -hmm. the concepts are strange. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying they're good or bad. I'm just saying they're strange. There's something that if you think about them that your brain can't quite totally comprehend. They're beyond our ability to comprehend. That makes them strange. It's supernatural and it's strange. And that's the whole point of this whole thing. And it's weird to touch on how no matter what genre of religion or whatever you want to call it we pick, we come up with things that are similar. They all kind of mesh, but they all kind of don't. Mm -hmm. Some of them seem to be polar opposites, but have similar characters. Some of them seem to be polar opposites and have completely the same characters. And some of them are almost exactly identical. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird how everything ties together. And I love the audio clip where he talks about there are no such thing as atheists. You believe in something. You put your right. faith in something. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And a compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, 
be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And then he ends it with saying that if you are wasting it on the God of yourself and your body and your brawn or your brains, it's going to leave to total disappointment. But if you spend your life doing the unsexy things, giving your life in the pursuit of the benefit of others, Mm -hmm. then that's going to give you peace and it's going to bring you something that's much better than anything else. It's cool how this whole thing we've been talking about, whether it's ex-religion or Y-religion or no religion, comes down to that guy's quote, David Foster Walt. Walrus? (laughs) Walrus. <laughs> Wallace. 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 Yeah. David Foster Wallace, uh-huh. where if your whole point is to get your self-satisfaction and your self-gratification and you're focusing on yourself. Worshipping yourself. Mm-hmm. Worshipping yourself, yeah. Then you're going to kind of come up empty because you're going to let yourself down. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it translates to other things too, where if you're focusing on this deity or something else that's focused on itself, it's going to let you down Mm -hmm. because it's going to fall short. So focus on something that's focusing on you, and there might be some kind of equilibrium. You know, you're never going to let it down, and it's not going to let you down because you're both building each other up in a way. Does Mm -hmm. that make any sense? Mm -hmm. The way I see it, you are going to die. I'm going to die. There's nothing we can do about that. It's going to happen. So what kind of power do we have? Now, we have the belief in something that is immortal, that for whatever inexplicable reason cares, likes, loves, or will provide for us something after this life is over. And what do we need to do to appease that deity, that God that has access to this afterlife so that we can have an afterlife, so that we can have something beyond this? I understand that. I get that. I mean, I I want that. I don't want to end. Do you want to end? Do you want your kids to end? I don't. So I hope for something more. And so we look to gods to provide that for us. Mm-hmm. But the pursuit of fulfilling ourselves doesn't give us that end. It only satisfies our temporary, present need and desire. The idea of God, to me is that it goes beyond the present and offers something beyond that is meaningful and purposeful. What was that word I used earlier? Gynecological. Ontological. I want to answer those questions. And I want to know, what's the purpose? Why? Right. You know, I, I can ask them, so I expect an answer. If I can dream it, if I can believe it, if I can wonder it, then I have to expect that there's some way to answer that question. But I'm hoping for that. And so we look at gods and deities and pantheons and all the things we've been talking about as a way to bridge the gap, not only in this world, but in the world to come. I mean, there are a lot of things here. I'd like to go deeper into some of these things. Like I'd like to get into the Anunnaki, that Mm -hmm. whole idea of the Anunnaki and who they are, because there are a lot of conspiracy type stuff that swirls around the Anunnaki and also the Watchers. Yeah. Because they are so ancient, there's a lot of ideas of like the planet Nibiru And that the ancient inhabitants of Nibiru planted humanity on Earth to basically mine gold so that they could like try to save their own planet, Nibiru. I mean, it's really interesting. Hmm. And the Anunnaki ties into all the things of like Atlantis 
And then you have the ideas of the Watchers. I mean, I think we should do one of those every once in a while. We should do the Anunnaki. We should. Do I think the they'll Watchers. come up no matter what because this kind of same topic has come up in everything else we've done. So it, yeah, you are freaking right. I mean, freaking bro, it is crazy how this theme rears the same head over and over and over again whether it's bigfoot or aliens or ufos or cattle mutilations whatever we talked about spirits haunted buildings all of these things tie into the same base element what is this existence in this dimension that we call life i hope everyone has had a decent time learning about some of these ancient gods and pantheons We don't expect to change any minds about anything because really we're just throwing out info. Nonsensical info. That's right. We know that for us it's been interesting. We hope it's been interesting for you. I hope that you continue to tune in to our podcast. We're going to do some really cool, creative, fun things here in the near future now that winter's over and COVID's kind of let up a little bit. We're going to go out and do some adventures on our motorbikes and our IDV. Speaking of which... What's the temperature like on Sunday? Well, it's supposed to be like almost 80 degrees. It's like 74, bro. I think we better take a scooter scoot around the town. need a scooter scoot, although it's your mom's birthday, so we should probably be conscious of she that. She could use a birthday nap. If you're not out enjoying the weather on Sunday, we're at my mom's birthday party. Yes. Then what you should do is get on your favorite social media platform or... Uh, podcasting app and give us a like a follow a thumbs up or five star rating would be acceptable I guess and give us some good feedback some good reviews and like us and follow us on social media yeah, and one thing I would, that helps I would us out. highly recommend tell your friends about us say man mm-hmm. I listen to this podcast those guys are really funny or they're stupid I don't care what it is as long as the people want to listen to us get people listening the more followers we have the better Like we've said so many times, we're hacks. We just kind of throw this out there and do it for fun and to share our adventures with you. You know, I think would be a good method of distributing our podcast. What? It's just go to a store, go to Walmart or wherever. Mm -hmm. Find somebody who looks uh, lonely or not lonely. Just sneak up next to them. Lean your face close to their ear quietly breathe heavily just enough so they know that you're there not 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 not, not, that, not heavy. that heavy just okay. like and then be like strange thing podcast you should listen and to then and then phantom podcast. walk away just, <laughs> just yeah. fizzle into non-existence or if you'd like <laughs> You know, share a story, a strange thing. Send that story to mystory at astrangething.com. And we'll get it. And we'll send you some, like, swag. We'll send you stickers. If it's worth it. Yeah. If it's not worth it, we're it's not sending you nothing. Yeah, you ain't getting crap. But yeah. if it's a good story, you might get the plethora You might of get crap. You might get crap. If you yeah. want crap... Send us a good story. Yeah, and you can share that crap with other people. Mm-hmm. Nothing's as good as spreading mm, crap around. No way. Yeah, everybody like loves it. Freaking fertilizer, bro. <laughs> so anyway, join us next time for some cold drinks and some strange conversation. Taters. Taters. <laughs> <laughs> Before you have it, let's get it.